Well, let's turn to James chapter 1. And I want to start with an overview of uh, what James has been saying so far. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21, but let's start back. Verse 1 was a greeting. We've got a little picture up here on the front. So greeting, verse 1. And we, we learned that first time we met that James is writing to a group of believers who had to flee Jerusalem because of persecution. They had been part of James' church, but had to flee Jerusalem into North Palestine. So they're basically homeless refugees for the sake of Christ, which is why in verses two through four, James urges them to count it all joy when you meet up with trials of various kinds because they're going through trials. And then in verses five through eight, James knows that when you go through trials, you need wisdom, right? And so he says, ask God for your needs for wisdom because when we ask God for wisdom, he will always give generously and without reproach. That's verses five through eight. Then verses nine through 12, in fleeing Jerusalem, they'd suffered a loss of social status. And that's painful. That's difficult. And so he encourages them and he says, yes, you've experienced a loss of social status now, but when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to exalt you before all of humanity by crowning you with the crown of life and saying, this one was faithful to me, this one followed me, and I'm going to honor you with the crown of life forever. So be encouraged if you've experienced a loss of social status. Then verses 13 through 18, interesting passage. Some of those that James was writing to had been deceived. They were thinking that, yes, they were going through trials. Trials bring temptations, but they were accusing God of bringing those trials and those temptations in order to lead them into sin. God, you're pulling me into sin. And James says, that's deception. God never leads us into sin. He never pulls us into sin. You're being pulled into sin by your own sinful desires. But here's the good news. When you're pulled into sin, God is right there ready to help you, ready to change your heart, ready to set you free, break every chain like we sang this morning. So that was verses 13 through 18. And then that brings us to verses 19 through 21. What's going on in this section? Look at what he says in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, when we read this verse, it's easy to assume that James is calling us to be quick to hear from other people. <laughs> Lord, mercy on us, bless us. It's going to be fine. Oh, boy. Yes. Lord, I pray you just bring peace into that room now and into this little one and uh, your comfort and your, your grace. Thank you that we can trust you. You're good to us, Lord. Come into work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so it's easy to assume in verses 19 through 21 that he's talking about being quick to hear from other people and slow to speak to other people and slow to be angry towards other people. That's what I used to think, and that's what I think we all assume when we read this passage. But when we look at the verses before verse 19 and after verse 19, I think, at least I want to show you, my conclusion is that that's not what James is saying. Here's why. What is James saying in verse 19? That's the question we want to ask. And you've all heard this, I'm sure, but it's important to look at the context of a verse, verses before and after, because the author will give us clues for what he's saying in that one verse. So let's look at the previous verses 
to see if we can find any clues. What are we supposed to be quick to hear? What is it? Is James just starting a whole new topic here? Be quick to hear to other people? Or is he, is he continuing what he's been talking about? And look at verse 18. I saw something that's very important for us to hear in that verse. James says, of his own will, he's talking about God, of God's own will, he brought us forth, he saved us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so the word of truth is the gospel, it's the, the Bible, the word of God. And so if God brought us forth, if he birthed new life in us by the word of truth, if he saved us by the word of truth, then it would make sense that it's important for us to be quick to hear the word of truth. So I started to wonder, is that maybe what James is saying? We should be quick to hear. Is he talking about being quick to hear the word of truth? And then I looked at the following verses to see if, if he encourages me to think that in the following verses. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. That means hearing the word, right? How do you receive with meekness the implanted word but by, by hearing it? So receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay, so that's being quick to hear God's word. And then look at verses 22 and 23. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, it's not enough to be hearers of the word. We must be both hearers and doers. But can you see that it's the word that James is talking about us hearing? So do you see that? So if you see this, we got verse 19, be quick to hear. In the previous verse, he talks about the importance of the word of truth. So maybe that's what he's talking about us being quick to hear. And then in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. That's hearing the word. Verse 22, don't just be hearers. We should be hearers, but not just hearers. Verse 23, if you're a hearer and not a doer, so on. But do you see that if we ask the question in the context, in these verses, what are we supposed to be hearing? We're supposed to be hearing the word. Now, do you see that? I hope you're persuaded by that. In other words, we've got to ask the question, in the context, what are we supposed to be hearing? So I don't think what James is saying here is that we should be quick to hear other people. That's taught in other verses. Do that. Very important. But that's not what he's saying here. Here he's calling us to be quick to hear God's word. Okay, well, what about the, the rest of verse 19? Let every person be slow to speak and slow to anger. Is there any place in the context that helps us understand what that's about. And I found the answer for me, see if you're persuaded, way back in verse 13, where James says, let no one say, speak, say, when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. We studied this a couple weeks ago. Some of James' readers, when they felt themselves being pulled towards temptation, they think, God's pulling me towards temptation. God's trying to make me sin. James says, that's wrong. But see, they were angrily speaking against God, accusing him of trying to pull them towards sin. And James says, don't say that. But so what I think is going on in verse 19 is James is saying, be quick to hear God's word. When you're tempted, be, be quick to hear God's word and be slow to speak angry accusations against God as if he's the one who's accusing, who's pulling you into sin. He's not. It's your own desires. Okay, so that might be a brand new thought for some of you. It's like, are you... So, that's fine. Just 
look at this more this afternoon. I want to share with you what my convictions are. Your job isn't to believe me necessarily, but to study the Bible for yourself. So you study this passage for yourself. But, but my conviction is that the main point of verse 19 is, here's what we need to do when we are being tempted to sin. Be quick to hear God's word. Be slow to speak accusations against God as if he's the one pulling you into sin. He's not. He's right there ready to help you. So be quick to hear God's word. So what's verse 19 about? How to deal with temptations. Now, this is crucial for us to talk about because every one of us has been tempted numerous times every day this past week. We've got to be able to call it that, though it's more important. It's not just that you've had a bad day. You're being tempted. That's what's going on. It's not just that your boss is being, you know, difficult. You're being tempted to have ill thoughts towards him. And all of us are being tempted all the time. And so we need to hear what James is saying here about how we deal with temptation. So I want you to think of a specific temptation that you faced this past week. Just think of a specific one. Here, here's mine. This is Wednesday, and I had just come up with what I thought was a brilliant idea. Just genius, pure genius. And so I was all excited because then I envisioned myself sharing this with my wife, who's, who's wonderful, and I was, I was putting my hope and seeking my joy in how she was just going to just lavish praise upon me for what a genius I was, okay? And so I was putting, this is wrong, you know, I was supposed to seek my joy in the Lord, Jan's wonderful, but don't seek my joy in, in anyone and so I was seeking my joy in, in how she was going to be praising me for my genius when I shared this idea with her. So I shared this idea with her, and she was loving, as she always is, and gracious, as she always is, and she listened very carefully, as she always does, and she was as, as encouraging as my idea deserved. Um, and then she graciously pointed out a couple of reasons why it had some flaws in it, and, and my, my, my hope of, of having her say, you are amazing. Honey, you are incredibly bright. And just, oh, this is, that balloon was popped, as you might say. And my heart got even more empty. And I, to my shame, frustration started to rise up in me. I'm right. She's just not seeing it. Frustration rose up. Some, some bitterness rose up. Some disappointment rose up. You know how that goes? Okay, so I was being pulled towards frustration, towards emptiness, towards bitterness against my wife. Do you see how that goes? Okay, that's my honest confession. Now, you don't need to stand up and confess yours, but do you have one in your mind? Okay, I want you to think. A specific time this last week when you were being pulled towards sin. Have one in your mind. Maybe it was greed about money. Maybe it was bitterness about a, a situation where you weren't trusting God for it. Maybe you were tempted with a sense of superiority towards um, other nationalities, other races, other cultures. Maybe you were feeling hopeless about a situation. That's, that's temp being tempted towards sin. Maybe you were being tempted towards uh, gossiping about someone or wrong sexual thoughts. Maybe you were being tempted to love something else more than Jesus. Okay, so do you have one in your mind? You don't need to tell me what it is. Just, just nod. Tell me if you got one, okay? Because what I want you to do now is to think about how did you respond to that temptation? Because in verse 19 through 21, James is telling us how do we deal with temptation? How do we overcome temptation? That's what he's talking about here. 
So think about it. When you felt yourself being pulled toward that sin, how did you respond? Did you fight it? And if so, how did you fight it? The point in verse, 20, uh, verse 19 is that whenever we feel ourselves being pulled toward our sin, we should fight it by being quick to hear God's word. Pulling out God's word. Quick to hear God's word. Isn't that what Jesus did? Remember? He was tempted in the wilderness. And in response to each temptation, what did he do? He quoted specific scripture. It's not because Satan needed to hear the scripture. It's not just because we needed to read about that. It's because he was fighting temptation. And he perfectly overcame it. He never sinned. But he fought temptation, just like we're supposed to fight temptation, by being quick to hear the word of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what James calls us to do. Now, why? Why should we be quick to hear the word of God? It's because God promises to use his word, the truth of his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to set us free from that pull of sin. Because, I mean, sin, when you're being pulled by sin, it's strong, right? I mean, greed can be strong and bitterness can be strong. Um, unforgiveness or anger against someone can be strong. Lust or greed can be strong in your heart. Your heart can feel so pulled towards sin that you don't think you're ever going to be set free, right? It's like, this is over, overpowering me. There's nothing I can do about it. But I tell you, the word of God, the truth of God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can set your heart free, can completely transform your heart, no matter how powerfully you're feeling that sin pulling you. And that's why James says, be quick to hear. Picture it like this. You know, Paul talks about the word of God. He says, the word of God is the sword of the spirit, right? So when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ and were saved, one of the many wonderful things God did was he handed you a sword in the scabbard, this big sword. Mm, okay, Big old sword, sharp sword, strong sword, glistening, shiny, powerful sword, which you can put back in your scabbard. And, and the reason he gave you that sword is because no matter what temptation is pulling you, that sword has the power to slay it. No, no question. No matter how strong it is, no matter how big it is, even if it's like 50 feet taller than you, makes no difference. Pull out that sword, slay it. Greed, slay it. Jealousy, slay it. Whatever it is, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God and can slay every temptation you face. So here's the question. This last week, you were being pulled by a temptation. Did you resist it? If not, that's, that's tragic. We'll talk about that in a moment. If you did resist it, how did you resist it? And see, too often what we do is we leave the sword in the scabbard and we just try to duke it out ourselves, right? Our own willpower. So here's this 50-foot tall, like, bitterness and frustration because Jan didn't call me a genius, okay? And so it's like, ah, I have to fight the sin and, and, and it's just like, I'm just getting pummeled. Boom, boom, boom. It's, that's how it is, right? And what do I need to do? Thank you. Whoosh. Slay it. Okay, and it'll be destroyed. Now, that's why it is so important that we're quick to hear. But see, too often, we just rely on our own resolution. I, I shouldn't be frustrated here. Take, take a deep breath. Okay, 
It's my own willpower. Stop feeling frustrated. You're not supposed to be frustrated. You're not supposed to feel bitter. Stop feeling bitter. See, the sword is in the scabbard. That's just nothing. That does nothing. Sin just laughs at that kind of approach. But you pull out the sword of the Spirit, and sin starts to tremble because its doom is coming. Be quick to hear God's Word. That's why. So what I want to encourage you is that whatever you find your heart being pulled towards sin, don't just rely on your own willpower trying to, to do the right thing, trying to feel the right thing, trying to squelch the wrong feelings. That's not how we're supposed to fight sin. That's like leaving the massive sword in the scabbard and trying to fight off a 50-foot giant with your own fists. You're going to be destroyed. Pull out the sword. Now, that's the point of verse 19. Be quick to hear God's word when you are tempted. Now, why is this so important that we do that? James gives two reasons. The first is in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if instead of hearing God's word, if instead of that I get angry at God, I accuse him of trying to pull me towards sin, then my anger is not going to help me overcome my temptation. That anger is not going to strengthen me in, in the righteousness God wants me to have. I'm not going to be overcoming sin. Sin's going to be overcoming me. So the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's one reason it's so important not to go there. Second reason, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now underline this next phrase. Which is able to save your souls. The word is able to save your soul. Just hold your Bible up, okay? Hold it up. This is able to save your soul because this is God's word. God works through the truth of this word to save your soul. Now, what do you mean save my soul? Haven't I already been saved? You've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ from the guilt of your sins. But every day we face new temptations and every day we need to be saved from the power of that sin, the power of that temptation. So we've been saved for all the guilt of our sins, past, present, and future. But tomorrow, this afternoon, an hour from now, you're going to need to be saved from the power of some temptation that's pulling at you. So we need to be saved from sin's power. And this word is able to save your souls. Now, why is it so important that our souls be saved from the power of the different temptations we're facing? James told us what will happen if sin's power isn't overcome. Look at verses 14 and 15. James says, Each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. So sin's not being opposed here. It's just growing. So if we let sin grow in us, here's what's going to happen. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So underline that word death. If sin's power is not overcome, then it will lead to our spiritual death. This is a very sobering word. If sin's power is not overcome, it will lead to my spiritual death. Not my physical death. We all face that anyway. But my spiritual death. I will not be saved. Now, let me explain that. I explained it two weeks ago, but again, this is so, so important. I'm convinced that when someone is saved, they can't lose their salvation. 
God will keep them saved all the way to heaven. I, I base that on Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The good work God starts in you when he saves you, he will continue all the way to, to the end till when Christ Jesus comes. So God will continue the good work that he started all the way to the end. When he saves you, he will not let you fall away. On either side, he's going to keep you going. So the picture I get, here's the highway to heaven. When God saves you, he takes you off the highway to hell, and he puts you on the highway to heaven, and you start walking along. But if we, if we go off to this side, there's eternal destruction on that side. There's eternal destruction on this side. So to keep us on the road, he puts warning signs up along the way. Warning. If you move towards the edge, you could fall over to eternal destruction. Warning, if you keep going in this direction, you could fall over to eternal destruction. So he puts these signs up, but not only does he put the signs up, when he saves us, he changes our hearts so we pay heed to those signs. Okay, so I'm, I'm being pulled towards bitterness and frustration. All of a sudden, warning, if you keep going in this direction, this could lead to death. He's changed my heart to say, I don't want that. Jesus, help me. Quick to hear the word. Since power is slain, I'm back in the middle of the road, and here we go. So the warnings are real. If you keep going towards sin, that could mean your eternal destruction. Not that you've lost your salvation, but you've never been really saved because if you'd been saved, your heart would be changed and you'd be paying heed to the warnings. But the warnings are real. But because you're saved and God's changed your heart, you're going to pay heed to those warnings and keep going all the way to the end. See how that works? So the warnings are real and God will keep all those he saves to the very end. This is crucial. But now see... Listen, church, this is so important. I would guess some of you have an area of sin in your life and you are not battling it. It's like Gollum with the ring, right? This is your precious. And you're, you're doing, going to church, you're being good here, you're doing this, you're serving here, but there's some area that you know is sin and you're just holding on to it and you're clinging to it. And please, 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 I tell you, if you, if you don't deal with that, that could lead to your eternal death. That's what James says, verse 14 and 15. And here's the good news. As strong as a hold as you feel like that has on you, it is not too strong for the sword of the Spirit. He will break every chain, including that one. So you don't need to feel hopeless Maybe you've been trying, maybe, but I, I tell you, the word of God will save your soul from the power of that sin, like James says right here in verse 21, which is able to save your soul. So do you feel how serious sin is? I want you to let's let that weigh on you. And then do you feel the incredible confidence we have in what God's word can do to help us overcome sin? You feel that also? Please feel both. Feel the weightiness of sin and then feel the power and the promise save our souls from the power of that sin. Now, what should we do then when we face temptation? The answer is in verse 21. Here's what James says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So I see four steps here, okay? First step, turn your heart from filthiness and wickedness. Okay, whenever you're being tempted to sin, your heart is set on sin. So realize that. Right now I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm wanting the joy, I'm, wanting, I'm seeking my heart satisfaction in having Jan call me brilliant. And that is sin. 
because I'm not seeking my joy in God. That is sin. You see that, right? It's, that's never going to satisfy me, right? Having somebody say I'm genius, it's never going to satisfy me. God is my all-satisfying treasure. I'm making an idol out of applause from other people, my wife. That's sin. So I need to turn my heart from that sin. And so that's the first step. What, are, what is your heart set upon as you're being tempted to sin? So turn from that sin. That's step number one. You see that? So you turn from that and you put your heart on something else. That's the second step. What you put your heart on is the word of God. So therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Turn your heart from sin and receive with meekness the implanted word. Set your heart upon the word of God because it'll save your soul from the power of sin. That's why. So you set your heart on the truth of God's word. Now, this doesn't mean you just set your heart on commands like don't be bitter Commands are helpful, but look at the reasons given for the commands. Look at the promises surrounding the commands. Look at the God who makes the commands. Look at the Jesus who's loved us and gave himself for us. Look at, at all what the scriptures teach. So it's not just commands like, okay, I know the commands. No, there's more than the commands. So find a scripture that will speak to your temptation. This is so crucial. Now, just think about this. If, if the way you fight sin, if you're going to face dozens of temptations tomorrow, and the way to fight those temptations with Scripture, what does that mean we need to know? Scripture. We need to know Scripture. We need to read and study and memorize and share and talk about and read and study and memorize and share and talk about Scripture. Listen, Grace Church, for us to do in this country what God wants us to do, we need to be people of the book who are learning God's word and speaking God's word to ourselves and preaching God's word to our souls. So get a rhythm of doing that. Now, let's say you face a temptation and you can't think of any scripture that'll help. Send out a WhatsApp message to your home group, okay? Help, I need help, or, or somebody else, your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, okay? They'll help you. We're a body working together. But So find a scripture. So here's the scripture that I found Wednesday afternoon as I was being pulled towards frustration and bitterness. Psalm 1611. In your presence, David's talking to God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Joy, fullness of joy is not found in getting compliments from people. Fullness of joy is only found in knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. Fullness of joy is found in knowing Christ, fellowshipping with Christ, communing with Christ, worshiping Christ, my friend, my God, my Savior, my provider, my guide. That's where full and lasting joy is found. That's the only place where full and lasting joy is found. So I, I found Psalm 16.1. So you've got to find a verse. So first step, turn your heart from filthiness and wickedness. Second step, set your heart upon the word of God. And then third step, meekly submit to the word of God. Did you catch that? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Crucial word, underline that, with meekness. So meekly submit to the word of God. That is, don't question God's word. Don't argue against God's word. God's word is perfectly true. If you disagree with God's word, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Okay, it's just the way it is. So meekly submit. So I needed to meekly submit to Psalm 1611. Full and lasting joy will never be found in having Jan tell me I'm brilliant. Okay, sounds foolish, but that's what I need. Full and lasting joy is only found in you, Father. 
and knowing your holy son, Jesus. And I just had to confess. I, did, I wanted to submit to that truth. Forgive me. I've sinned. I made an idol out of people's approval. Forgive me. Take that idol down. Break that idol down. You are my God. You are my joy. You are my treasure. So you, you meekly submit to God's word. And there's a crucial fourth step. Receive the implanted word. <laughs> Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive the word which is able to save your souls. It's the implanted word. Because when God saved you, he overcame all the rebelliousness and the hardness of your heart and he implanted his word in your heart. Gave you a soft heart to receive his word and you loved his word. You wanted to trust his word. You saw the beauty of Jesus and God the Father in the word. So he's implanted his word in you. But even, the word, even though the word has been implanted in our hearts, we still need to receive it because we, sin blinds us to it, right? It can be implanted, but you still won't see it. So God's word was implanted in me on Wednesday. Psalm 1611 was implanted in me, but I was blind to it. When I was putting my heart on having Jan say I was a genius, at that moment, I was blind to Psalm 1611. I wasn't believing Psalm 1611. I wasn't seeing Psalm 1611. Do you see that? And so I needed to receive. And so I just prayed over Psalm 1611. Something like this. Father, I said, right now, I'm, I'm only feeling like frustrated. I'm feeling bitter. I'm setting my heart on, on finding my joy in, in Jan thinking I was brilliant. I made an idol out of that. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for Jan. She's amazing. But only, only you are my all-satisfying treasure. Only you can satisfy my heart completely. Forgive me for turning from you. Change my heart now. Help me see you more clearly. Help me to feel the wonder of who you are more. Meet me now. Change my heart. Come and help me. And as I prayed, and as I kept praying over Psalm 1611 and some other scriptures, sword slayed that bitterness and that emptiness and that impatience and that frustration. And I'm serious. My heart, all that diminished and peace came and contentment came and fullness and joy came in the Lord. And that's what God will do. Every time you face a temptation, when you wield the sword of the Spirit, when you turn your heart from sin, set your heart on God's word, meekly acknowledge the truth of God's word, and then receive the implanted word by praying over it until the Holy Spirit takes the truth of those scriptures, until the Holy Spirit takes the truth of those scriptures and changes your heart with those truths. And he will do that. So, don't leave the sword in your scabbard, okay? Don't try to fight the temptation with your own bare hands. 50-foot giant. Pull out the sword which will slay every giant. So don't surrender to the sin. Don't rely on your own willpower to conquer the sin. Instead, pull the sword out and slay the sin. That's what James is calling us to do. Now, let's, let's stand together. I want to have the worship team come on up. And I want us to... Maybe you're going through a temptation like right now. Let's let the truth of this song, Cornerstone, speak to your temptation. Just receive this word. This is the truth of God's word we're going to be singing. Um, if, if your pattern has not been to pull out the sword, 
then as we sing this song, turn this into a prayer where we say, help me to do this more. If you need to take steps to learn God's word better, then let's turn this worship song into a song of prayer. Lord, help me to be more faithful to read your word, to study your word. If you are facing an area of sin that has completely conquered you, maybe even for quite a long time, let this song give you hope that the sword of the Spirit will save your soul from sin. And so ask God, strengthen me, strengthen my hope, strengthen my confidence in you. So Father, use this song now, I pray, to minister to our hearts exactly what we need when it comes to this topic of battling temptation. Move upon us right now, I pray.